Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning, and I'm glad you're here. It is a question that we need to all think about. What is it that really matters in my life? When it's all said and done, one day when I stand before the Creator, what really matters? I think that's what Paul is talking about, and that's what we are talking about in a series, as you heard, What Really Matters. If you've got a Bible, go with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be in the last few verses, 24 through 27. Now, just to give you context for those of you that just joined us, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians for a little while. I think we started in 2012, but we're, we're making progress. We're already in chapter 9, and we're at the end of chapter 9. But this chapter has given us this incredible glimpse into Paul. What was it that drove him? I mean, this man went through unbelievable things. Remember, he started off as a persecutor of the church. I mean, he killed Christians for a living. We would be in danger with this guy running around. But now he has become one of the most passionate followers of Christ. He's a missionary for Jesus, and he is starting churches And he's writing to one of his churches at a place called Corinth. It's in Greece, down at the bottom there on the Peloponnesian Peninsula. So some of you studied uh, your Greek mythology, you know there were the Peloponnesian Wars. You ever saw the movie 300? That was a reference to that area. Now, when Paul's writing, he's telling them, hey guys, this is why I live. This is why I breathe. I want to do everything I can to win some. I want to do everything I can to win someone to Christ. Okay, so let me take you back to last week. Last week, I put up this model. Here we are, and then he names these groups, Jews, Gentiles, the weak, meaning the disenfranchised, the the, the margins of people who have what they need to survive, and you can define it any other way, but I think that's who he was talking about. There's another category, and that happens to represent your neighbor. It represents people you don't like. It represents maybe an unreached, unengaged people group in this world that has never had opportunity to hear the gospel. And so Paul was trying to say, hey, I owe them something. And so the diagram that represents what Paul says in that that portion of the chapter is, I'm going and I'm going to do everything I can. I'll become like them so that I could win them, okay? Now, as you see that again and get it fixed in your mind, this is a beautiful picture of what a church ought to be doing. They're not our enemies. Even if this represents the people that they don't believe like we believe, they don't live like we live, they are just entirely on the wrong side of issues, they're not our enemy. In fact, let me show you what Paul would say. He says we're in debt to them. This is Romans chapter 1. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, Greeks, we know who they are, right? Well, who's he talking about? The barbarians. That's your neighbor that you don't like. 
That's the people in your office that drive you crazy. You're under obligation to them. We owe the city of Orlando the gospel. We owe every group that we may despise or we may differ with, we owe them the gospel. That's who Paul is. That's who he wants the church to be. Now, the problem is he went to every extent to reach them. He said, I'll do anything, whatever it takes to reach them. That's a passion that I don't always see in the church. In fact, my question is, it's not are we passionate. I know we're passionate. I, I go to football games. I go to basketball games. I watch. I go to soccer games. I mean, we're crazy passionate. But is it for things that matter? Thus, the question or the title of the series, what really matters? George Gallup, a few years ago, did a survey. 13,000 were asked. They were studied. 13,000. They were all formerly churched people, okay? You, you know what I'm talking about. They, they grew up in the church. They used to be in church, and they're no longer in church. And one of the questions they were asked, what would it take for you to come back to the church? What would it take for you to come back? Now, before I show you the answer, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of you go, well, better preaching. That would help. Or better music, or, or, or more cappuccino in the lobby. I mean, what, whatever. All these crazy answers, it's going to shock you what they said. The number one answer. Passion in the lives of the members and leaders. You mean to tell me people left the church because there's no passion? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. No passion. Tony Campolo says there's two kind of people today, the boring and the bored. So let me see, which one are you, okay? Uh, how many are the bored? <laughs> Raise your hand. You know what the only difference in the two is? Passion. The reason you're bored is because you don't see passion, and you're passionate about things that maybe others aren't passionate about. But what you're about to read is one of the most passionate passages of Scripture. It's unbelievable. And so I hope you got a Bible in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may win it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we all to receive a wreath that is not perishable. It's imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. May the Lord add his blessing and may the Lord help us to really understand this and live this so Paul is describing passion. Now, I, you can define passion in a lot of ways. Let me tell you what I don't think it is. It's not excitement. You know what? The last thing the church needs is a pep rally. You know why? We're not in high school. Not all of us. 
I've been to pep rallies. Pep rallies are great for the few minutes you're in them, and then you walk out, and everything's back to normal. And pep rallies are usually about a game. They're usually about some event, and pep rallies are very shallow. And I've been in places and been in meetings where, oh, it was great in here. It was awesome. Before we got to our car, we were right back to the same old us. We don't need excitement. We need passion. And passion is not intensity. You know, I've known people who were very intense because they were mad. They were angry. And, and it, you can fuel intensity a lot of ways, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going in a good way. Or what about commitment? I, I've known people that were committed, but they were committed for the wrong things. And you can be committed without passion, you know what I mean? Let me explain it. I'm committed to take the trash out on Monday night, to roll the cans out on Monday night, okay? I'm committed, but I'm not passionate about it, okay? So you don't see me rejoicing and singing praise songs while I'm taking it out. You can be committed to something and not have passion. So what is passion? I love this Randall Ross was a Assembly of God pastor, a big Assembly of God church in North Carolina. And this, this is what he said. Passion is born from the deepest place in your soul. Passion leaves you no choice. It moves you. You don't move it. Now, I, I just like that definition because it's describing what Paul is feeling. It's something he couldn't stop. And it's something you and I are driven by, we don't control it. We don't turn it on on Sunday and then turn it off for the week. No. It's just what makes us do the things that we do. Here's a great old story for you. It involves the Arkansas Razorbacks, kind of home for Rachel, myself. Rachel's dad played for the Razorbacks, was a football player for them. So back in the day, there was a coach named Bear Bryant, you ever heard of Bear Bryant, Houndstooth, all that from Alabama? Well, he was a coach at somewhere else before Alabama. He was at Texas A&M. Texas A&M that year was undefeated. And they had to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas to play the Razorbacks. This was a big game. Fourth quarter, time is running out. Here's the score. A&M is seven, Arkansas is six. A&M has the ball, midfield. They, all they got to do is run the clock out, get a first down or two, they're good to go. Well, the quarterback gets hurt. So Bear Bryant has to turn to his backup quarterback, a guy by the name of Roddy Osborne. And he looked at him when he put him in and said, Roddy, do not throw the ball. Do not throw the ball. Well, Roddy ran the ball, and they got down to the 20-yard line. Tom is literally running out, and Roddy runs and then sees one of his receivers wide open in the end zone. And this backup quarterback thought, man, how cool is it? I could throw a touchdown pass, and we beat the Razorbacks, so he throws. And out of nowhere comes 
an Arkansas defender. Intercepts. Time has now expired, but he's running down the sideline. A pick six. And all of a sudden at the five-yard line, this backup quarterback <laughs> runs him down, tackles him, game's over. A&M wins. In the press conference after, Coach Bear Bryant was asked, Coach, your backup quarterback is one of the slowest players on the team. And yet we saw him run down a DB for Arkansas. Can you explain that? He said, yes, I can. That DB was running for a touchdown. That DB was running for his school. He was running to win the game. Roddy was running for his life. <laughs> Motivation is everything. Now, you've heard that story, but here's what's so cool. It's true. Motivation is everything. Passion is more akin to motivation. It, passion is about running like you've never run before. So I got three questions for you. Why are you running? Why are you living for Jesus? Why are you following Christ? Second question, how are you doing it? How are you running? Third, and for what are you running? And I think he answers every one of those in this text. Every one of them. The first one. I mean, he talks about it. Now, let me make sure. We, we read the text together. And it sounds like Paul is describing a competition. Well, you got to understand, Paul lived in Corinth for 18 months. Corinth had some games called the Isthmian Games. Okay? They were second only to the Olympic Games. And so one of the things we still believe there are some stones in Corinth that were starting blocks for those games. They were a big deal. So Paul is putting it in the metaphor of the, the games and putting it in the metaphor of running. He is not trying to say to us, you got to run for that prize and the prize is you get to go to heaven. No. Heaven isn't up to your running. Jesus has already taken care of that. By his death on a cross, you have been invited to come through faith. And when that happens, you are secured a place in heaven. You're not running to get to heaven. And you're not running to beat your brother or your sister. As competitive as we are, you're not, don't read that into this. He's not saying, okay, only one gets to win, so you better be the one that wins out of that church. No, no, no. He's saying, don't you realize when you run something, you're running to win? It's the attitude of a winner. It's just the way you live life as a winner. So don't look at it as competition with your brother and sister in Christ. Don't look at it as trying to get to heaven. Look at it as defining how you live for Jesus every day. He said that they do it here for a wreath that perishes. And we're going to come back to that wreath in just a minute. Believe me, it was a wreath that perished. But he said, we're running for something that doesn't perish. Now, I got a question for you. He, he uses the word prize. What's he talking about? I mean, go back to the, the text with me. He said, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. 
we and imperishable. And then he goes on and, and he describes all this. It starts with this one statement, so run that you may obtain it. Not everybody, but only one receives the prize. What's he talking about? Well, I think there's two, two meanings. I'm going to talk about one of them now, but I think there's another one that I'll share in just a moment. When Paul considered a prize for being faithful to the mission of sharing Christ, let me show you who the prize was first and foremost. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope? Our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You realize Paul looked at every person that he'd ever had the chance to be their pastor, to be their encourager, and to somehow influence them for Christ. He saw them as a part of that joy and crown. He thought of the day when he stood before Jesus and he would see the fruit of his ministry. That was his joy and crown. And so I have a question for you. Has anybody ever been influenced for Christ because of your life? When you stand before him, will you have anyone to point to as your joy? Your crown. I think it's a question we all have to face because think about it. When we're standing before Jesus at the end, nothing else really matters. It doesn't matter your voting record. It, it doesn't matter, well, I own this business and I was able to start this business and I grew it from this to th That won't matter. All that matters is anybody else in heaven because of you? Is there anybody else that you led them to Christ or influenced them to Christ? Now, now remember, we don't always get a chance to lead people to Christ, but we get a chance to influence them. And then when we do get that, in, that chance to lead somebody to Jesus, that's the most incredible thing in the world. For Paul, that's what he's talking about. And let me tell you, I got to be, <laughs> Rachel, I started to say I got to be honest with you. We were watching a movie last night and they said, let me be honest. She looked at me and goes, so the rest of the time, we're not honest? And so when I say, let me be honest, I'm not saying the rest of it's a lie, please. You're my joy and crown. When I stand before Jesus, I, I just, I want to say, Lord, I know there's some people that I, God, I think I pointed them to you. And, and I want to say that to you today as the passion that's where it comes from because I've had the chance to stand in front of you for so long and and to speak from this book and and to speak about him I could not imagine a greater joy or crown than than when I stand before the Lord and there are people in this place that they heard the gospel their life was changed I, for me one of the ways I measure that is simply baptism now, I, I didn't lead everyone to Christ, and I didn't even baptize everybody here, but we all had a part in that. And baptism is probably the clearest picture of someone who has come to Christ. 
Someone who is, their life has been changed because they stand in that water and they say Jesus is Lord. Can I tell you what's happened in my lifetime here with you? I went back and I said, hey guys, give me the numbers. I just want to know how many have we had the chance to see baptized from 2005 until now? And they came back this morning and said it's over 12,000 people. 12,000 people. Now, I can tell you a lot of them I didn't even know. I had nothing to do with a lot of them. But we had something to do with it. I just want you to know that's why he was running. And that's why I run. You wake up every morning. You're just thinking, you know, I get to influence somebody for Christ today. If I get a chance to share with them, I'm going to share with them. But even if I don't, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to live the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because we can be testimonies of Jesus even when we can't say his name. Every one of us can. Second thing, how are you running? Paul makes it really clear when he considers this question. Two things, with self-control... There's no doubt he talks about self-control. He talks about discipline. Go back to the text. He says, they discipline. I discipline my body, verse 27. I keep it under control. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. What does that mean? When you are running, when you are training to run, you don't do what your friends do. You don't eat everything you see. You don't drink everything you can. You take care of your body. I'm talking about physically. You are trying to be your best. Can I tell you that sports saved my life when it came to alcohol and drugs? It wasn't a lack of supply. It's just I wanted to be the best athlete that I could. I'm not going to stand here and tell you I did it for Jesus. I didn't do it for Jesus. I did it for me. I wanted to be the best athlete I could. I wanted to have the best game Friday night that I could or whenever it was, you know, whatever sport I was playing. So you don't just eat everything. You don't see everything. We picked a bad day for donuts with David. It's probably the timing wasn't the best for that, right? But basically, you do the hard things. You do the really hard things. Why? Because it's worth it. So we don't live like everybody else. We don't say things. We don't post things that everybody else posts. We don't get into those fights on Twitter and everywhere else. Why? Because we're doing everything we can to be a witness for Jesus. And just like Paul said earlier in these verses, if there's something that I would do that would make it harder for people to come to Christ, I'm not doing it. Self-control is a wonderful virtue. You don't have to say it just because you thought it. My wife reminds me that a lot. You don't have to say it just because you thought it. You exercise self-control. I can remember, man, during two-a-days in football, our coach would always have this speech. We'd be just gassed. I mean, it was so hot. I had one particular player, he'd throw up all the time during these days. He'd be down there throwing up, and the coach looks at it and goes, you know, your friends are riding around with your girlfriends. They're drinking Cokes. 
They're having the life. They're hanging out at the pool. So what are y'all doing out here? I mean, I'll never forget that. It's just like, why am I out here? That's a good question, Coach. What is it? Because I want it to be my best. And when it's for Jesus, when it's for others, I want to be my best. This Cajun dude had a necklace with alligator teeth on it. And he was at a restaurant. And this lady walked up and goes, what is that? He said, it's alligator teeth. She goes, oh, where I come from, the Northeast, I see what you mean. We have oysters, and we take the pearl, and we wear that. And he looks at her and says, anybody can open an oyster. So the point is, <laughs> I'm going to do the hard thing, right? I just, self-control matters. And the second thing is, I run with purpose. I run with intention. I wake up with intentionality. I don't just live aimlessly. Look at the way he, he describes it. Verse 20, 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. That's such a great. He takes a boxing metaphor and a running metaphor and he puts them together. But it makes sense to me. You can just see somebody just boxing the air, shadow boxing, or running aimlessly. I ran a road race one time and we got lost and did not go the right path, and we ended up getting there real soon. And the people at the finish line are going, how did y'all get here that fast? We just went the shortest distance. <laughs> That's all we could do. It's not a matter of just running wherever and doing whatever. No, 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 no. Every day, I am absolutely consumed with how can I influence another for Jesus. It goes through my mind. How can I influence the only time it's not front and center is when I'm driving, but I'm working on that. Can I tell you about a guy who is a legend? He is the only player in his four years of college in basketball, he averaged 44 points a game. Four years. At an SEC school, LSU to be exact. He went on from there and he played pro ball. And by the way, all this is before the three-point shot. Remember that. He averaged 24 points a game. By the time the three-point shot came, he was injured the last part of his 10-year time in the NBA. His name? Pistol Pete Maravich. A kid that died on the court, literally playing basketball with James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family. He had a heart condition that had never shown up in all of his years. And there, playing in a gym, a pickup game, he dies. 44 points a game, 24. He could do things with a basketball that, unbelievable. Played for the Hawks for a while, played for other schools. But listen, he was asked one time, how, how is it you achieve that kind of greatness? I mean, you're, you're naturally gifted, but what'd you do? He said, I'll tell you what I did when I was a kid. When I was old enough to hold a basketball, every night, not most nights, every night, I took the ball as I lay in my bunk, and I threw the ball to the ceiling. Just threw it straight up, and he said, I'd try to hit the ceiling, just barely touch it, and then catch it. 
And he said, that's how I fell asleep every night. He said, then in the day I would play whatever I was playing, I was dribbling a basketball. He said, if I went to, the, uh, to town, I'm dribbling a basketball. If I go down to the park with my friends, I'm dribbling a basketball. I even would ride a bike two and a half miles to a little town. And he said, I'm dribbling the basketball the whole way there and the whole way back. He said, what you've got to realize is the basketball became an extension of me. It was not a foreign object to me. It was me. You know what I long for in the church? Sharing Jesus is not a foreign object. It is an extension of who we are. It's what he made us to be. It's just the way we live life. It's not like some crazy idea that the pastor told us to do. No, no, it's who we are. Intention, purpose, every day. And the final thing, so what is the what? For what are we running? And what is kind of highlighted? What is the what? And this is where it gets really cool. He says we're running for the prize. Now, I mentioned it earlier. The word prize is used one other time in the New Testament. One other time. I'm going to show you where it's used. It's not a really common word, as you can tell, in the New Testament. But in the other reference, we get a little more information about it. Now, I think the people are his joy and crown, but I, I, I'm going to beg you to look. There's a reason they were his joy and crown. There's something beyond the people. There's something even bigger and more important. And this is what he's describing. This is my life verse, by the way, Philippians 3.13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forget what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on, that's the word dioko, toward the goal for the, what? Prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the prize... Beyond the people that we influence is this upward call. What is that? I'm going to tell you what I think it is. Could be a little bit of variation of this, but I'm telling you in my heart the way I see it. At every game, Olympic or Isthmian game, the winner would have his name called. And it would be called by a guy named the Agonathete. That's the Greek word for him. And they would call the name, and this whoever won would come up, and they would put a wreath on their head. And he would turn around, everybody cheering. And he got to wear that wreath around. Now, do you know what the wreath was made of? Now, it, it went through two things. But when Paul wrote this, you know what that wreath was made of? Wild celery. Celery. And so there was this wreath made out of this green plant celery. All I needed with it was a little peanut butter. I, I'm good, man. I just pull a little bit off and eat. Celery. How long does celery last? Those of you who do a lot of cooking, you take celery out of the refrigerator, you leave it out. How long does it last? Not long. That's why Paul said, y'all are doing all that to wear 
a head of lettuce on your head? To wear celery that's wilted on your head? He said, we do it for something much more. The prize is not a wreath made of celery. No, it's an upward call. What's the upward call? When Jesus calls our name. And when Jesus calls our name and we step forward, I just see this moment for every one of us. And Jesus looks at us and there's a crown. The Bible talks about a crown, five different crowns actually in the New Testament. And we are given a crown. Perhaps he places it on our head or whatever. It's called the Stephanos. Different word for wreath and crown. And I've had people get all worked up. Well, how many crowns? There's five. Are they all the same crown? Could be. What's the difference? We don't know. And then people are, well, how many jewels? You think they're made out of gold? You ain't got crown. Let me just tell you about the crown. When Jesus calls your name and you step up and he has that crown, I promise you, you're not going to go, well, I was kind of hoping for a different color crown. I was, I was thinking a little bit, no. It's not the crown we run for. It's the one, the one who gives it to us. Because you know what we're going to do with that crown? We're going to throw it at his feet. It's not the crown. The upward call is when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know what? I long to hear that. And Paul said, I don't want to live this life and be disqualified at the end. He doesn't mean lose my salvation. You don't lose your salvation. But what you miss out on is that well done, that moment of the upward call where he's commending you for your faithfulness, for your obedience. I don't want to miss that for anything. And you know what? It's never too late. So let me ask you again, are you running in such a way that he's going to say that? Do you feel like that today? Or are you to stand before him, you would hear, well done, David. Well done. You know, the good news about this is it's never too late. It's never too late. The best advice I can give you is live your life backward. What does that mean? How do you want it to finish? I want it to finish this way. Well, then start today so that it finishes that way. Live today in such a way that he will say, well done. Well done. You know, I've always believed it's too bad dying is the last thing we do because it teaches us so much about living. On that day, nothing else matters, only what I've done for him. So I want you to bow with me. I want to ask you those three questions again. Why are you running? Why are you living your life that you live? Number two, how are you doing it? Self-control? Purpose? Intention? And then the last... For what are you running? Is it just to make it to heaven? 
Or is it to bring the greatest honor and glory to the one who calls your name? You know, I know this race can be hard sometimes. And it gets really tough running. Some of you have been through so many things, whether it's health-related, whether it's work-related, whether it's financial. We go through so much. But I promise you, the day he calls your name, it will be worth it all. Run for that. Live for that. If you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never said, Jesus, I believe and I want to follow you. Can I just help you with that? Can I invite you to just simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. Tell him, I believe in you. And I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah. I believe you came to this earth to take my sin Nail it to a cross. I believe you were buried. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I believe you're coming again. So today, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to run for you. I want to live my life for you. Because you really matter to me. Jesus, I just know you heard anyone in here who breathed that to you, who thought that. Anyone on the stream, you heard them. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving them because you promised whoever calls on you, they shall be saved. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now look this way. What I've learned about running along the way, way back in the day, is you do better when you got people holding you accountable. You do better when you got people around you, encouraging you. You're going to meet up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go run, and you're not there, and you get a text or a phone call. That encourages you a little bit. Or especially when they threaten to come and get you out of bed and carry you out. You just need people to encourage you. That's why churches exist. That's why we're here. If you're not connected to a church, man, listen, we want you to be a part. And so when you hear us talk about the word connect, that's what that word means. So if you just prayed that prayer with me or you're ready to find a place and get connected, I would invite you to donuts with David, but there's over 400 that are coming. We don't have any more room. And so David won't get a donut, but that's okay. Self-control, right? But reach out to us. Text the word connect to 40777 and we'll be there for you. You know what I've always dreamed from the day I got here? I said, Lord, if it's okay with you, I'd like to finish here. Now, I thought I was finished in 2020 when the bike went down and I was out. But the Lord said, no, you're not finished yet. I'd love to finish. And I want you to finish with me. Let's run this together. Let's be the best we can be for him. And let's live with passion for Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.
Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.